Hello, I'm Georgie. And I'm VG. Welcome to our podcast, Diversity and Inclusion, Satisfying the Tick Box. Today's actually our very first episode and we'll be covering dyslexia. So for those that aren't as familiar with what dyslexia actually entails, it's basically a learning difficulty which primarily affects reading and writing skills. However, it doesn't only affect these skills. So dyslexia is actually about information processing. So dyslexic people may have difficulty processing and remembering information which they see and hear. And what we're going to be doing today is we'll be covering dyslexia from a personal perspective, but also how this affects an individual in the workplace. Yeah, so I think this is a great place to just introduce me and my background. Um, So I was diagnosed with severe dyslexia in my second year of uni. And the main issue that I face is around my working memory. So processing and retaining information is quite difficult for me. Um, However, my reading and writing skills are perfectly fine. So Georgie, when did you find out that you were neurodiverse? Yeah, so it was in my second or third year of uni. Um, And it's actually quite a funny story. It wasn't, I never thought to myself, oh, I could be dyslexic. My mate on my course actually just went and got a, a test because she wanted to to kind of see and it was also free so you can't complain with that um so I thought oh I might just go and see if I am dyslexic because I always felt like my memory was a bit a bit off and I didn't know if that was even related to dyslexia but it actually my results came back that I had severe dyslexia so yeah that was quite quite a shock and so we're talking, you said second year of university, did you? Yeah. Um, so that's probably what, 19, 20 years old. How, how, did, how did that make you feel? Yeah, I think initially I was I was really shocked and I think um, I just thought it would it would come back as no, I'm, I, I'm not dyslexic or anything like that. But yeah, when it when it came back that it was severe dyslexia, I was a bit a bit overwhelmed but also quite relieved because I think everything just kind of clicked into place of things that I struggled with growing up with in school and and things like that so yeah it was it was it was quite a relief and uh you know you mentioned struggling growing up in school uh, what were the kind of challenges that you'd experienced I yeah I think my school used to really really stress me out and I, I never really understood why because all my other friends were absolutely fine they liked school but it was more exams I think because my my working memory was is quite poor um so it was just remember obviously remembering all the the information for for the exams and things like that that was those were my main struggles um it wasn't necessarily the spelling and reading aspect although reading I do it's not I'm not the best at it but um yeah it was mainly exams exam season and you know in school we we all have our favorite teacher big up miss Giles if you're listening to me <laughs> um, that's another topic but um did you did you ever approach your teachers and talk about this or did one teacher ever stand up for you or try to help you no this this was the the issue I think that's still quite common now as well I think teachers and schools don't really have systematic things in place to to identify whether people may be dyslexic or have ADHD or autism or anything like that I think that's a, a really key issue so it never even crossed my mind that I could 
be dyslexic. So, yeah. And so who did you feel comfortable to talk about this when you were growing up or did you keep it to yourself? Yeah, I just, it was more, it was more because I didn't really know, know much about it. I just thought it was me being a bit, I don't know, a bit stupid, a bit not as bright as other people in my class. But then once I found out the, I read, I read a bit more into it and I was like, it just, everything made, made sense and if I, I think if I'd had a bit more support at school, it would have made a huge difference for me. Firstly, thank you, Higgsy, for sharing your personal experience, your personal journey with me, but also the audience who are going to listen to this. I do think that it takes a brave person to be able to open up and talk about their own personal journey. Just in relation to some of the comments you made that, about feeling stupid and not being as bright as others, I don't even think you know how truly capable you are as a person. And that's quite exciting going forward, you know, finding out. So what I wanted to talk about next is let's, you know, let's focus the attention on your family. How did this impact your family? I know you've got a sister. How did how did this impact her? Yeah, I think. Um, so when, when I told my, my parents the the result, my dad actually he said he, he he had a little tear in his eye because I think he just he felt quite guilty about um not be, not recognizing it or picking it up because he obviously wanted me to be support as supported as I could be at school but this is this is the 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 key reason the key issue isn't it it's it's awareness about um neurodiversity within children I think yeah and I always, ha- yeah, having a twin, like you mentioned, it, obviously you compare yourself, don't you, when you're a twin? It's it's just a, a natural thing to happen. But she's she, she's always been so bright and like really academic. So I think comparing myself to her, when actually we don't think in the same way, we don't process information in the same way. It was just very, yeah, it was it was pretty tough. No, I can I can, I can empathise with uh, with you, Higgsy. Um, big up Mills, by the way, you're a great sister. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Um, in in terms of you know that awareness, creating awareness, where do you think that that should come from? Who should be directing that or leading that for parents or students or at schools? Yeah, no, that's that's a really really good question. I think I think my my opinion, I think it should be a something that the schools should have in place, like a, a kind of a system where. I don't know if if a child if a child's underachieving a little bit or not really learning at the same pace as their their peers. I think there should be something in place that I don't know. They could offer them a, a free test or because at my uni we we got free the tests were all free, but I think normally they're they're quite expensive. So I think just having that and that funding from the government would be really 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 important and really um useful to help just help kids develop better. And get the resources. Oh, I would make a comment. Uh, let's refer back to uh, Boris Johnson, but unfortunately, <laughs> he, he's he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, what university did you go to? Just to give them a shout out, because uh, if the test is expensive and they're providing that to students and trying to support the students better, I think they need to get recognition. Oh yeah, it was um, UE in Bristol. So big up, big up them. <laughs> really, really good. I don't, I don't know if it's something that all unis do. I don't, I'm not. I'm not that aware of it, but yeah, it was really, really good. And the support that I got afterwards, I like my extra time, they sorted all of that out for me. Um, and yeah, just checked in to see if I needed. Oh, I got, I also got equipment from them actually. I got 
So for lectures, I could have this plug-in microphone that would record the lectures because um, lecturers just weren't, I don't know, they weren't allowed to record the lectures. So yeah, that was really good. So I could listen back to that rather than just reading the PowerPoint, I guess. I think um, that university has made you who you are now. Um, yeah. If, if, you, if you're looking at it holistically, um, that's where you've become the Higgsy that I know anyways. Yeah. Um, but okay let's move on then uh obviously you finished uni and you you said that you went to another uni didn't you to do your master's yeah yeah university of sussex so yeah i think once i once i had my diagnosis i think that kind of gave me a bit of confidence as well that it wasn't just like i can actually participate in in the education system so i went on to do my master's um at the University of Sussex and they were equally as amazing with providing the the help that I needed so for example it was a there wasn't any exams um which was definitely one of the reasons I picked it um so for, with my essays that I had to submit they gave me a sticker that I could put at the top um so whoever was marking it they could see that um, I was dyslexic and just to kind of bear that in mind which I just it kind of gave me a bit I felt a bit at ease with that that being there and uh, what what is one piece of advice you give to a student who's going through that same journey I know this is quite a difficult question to to answer but what is it that if, if you had to give them advice in relation to studying at university or another establishment what what, what would you tell them if they go through a similar journey to you yeah no I think um just I think being transparent about it I think letting letting people know that that what you struggle with and finding ways that works works for you because I know for me I'm more of a practical learner like I I couldn't just read a document and retain the information I think I have to I don't know speak out loud or do something a bit more practical that will make it stick in my head so yeah I think just reaching out for extra resources and extra help and just finding the ways that you learn best I think just trying loads of different yeah different techniques really and um, obviously we're, 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 we're still coming out of a pandemic how yeah. did you manage your neurodiversity during the pandemic what were you doing yeah so I actually did my master's during the pandemic so it was a year long um and we didn't have the kind of in-person interaction with the lectures. They were all online. So I think that that for me was quite a struggle. But yeah, I think I think it was the same for, for everyone, really. But I think, yeah, just not being able to have sessions in person with my uni, like my course mates, um, kind of because I, I, I like to talk about the topic that I need to remember for the exam or what I'm writing about. So I think that in-person aspect was a bit of a struggle but I guess you've just got to make it work haven't you yeah I think I think that's fair advice to be honest so you finished uni what happened after then what did you do so I got a distinction just thought I'll, I'll let everyone know yes. <laughs> yeah so that, that was that was good um and then yeah I got a, a job just a couple weeks before finishing so luckily I'd finished my dissertation um but yeah, now I'm I'm in full time work and it's going it's going well. So you're in full time work, and what is it that organisations have to do to promote you know an inclusive space for those who are neurodiverse? Yeah, no, I think that's 
it's such an important question, isn't it? I think it's going around quite a lot in the minute. I think it's it's around just everyone wants to feel that they're kind of understood no matter what space they're in. And I think that that is um really key to to create that inclusive space is just to understand the differences that people have um and just celebrate them as well. I think it's not just understanding the issues but actually embracing it and seeing what what good can come from from those differences and the different ways of thinking so yeah what what about you what do you think Vidji do you think there's kind of one way that organizations can do this or do you think yeah there's a few different ways I I think it, it could never be one way because everyone's so different so um if you have it as one way it's very rigid um, you need to be able to tailor, you know, uh, to the needs of your neurodiverse workforce. Um, and to be able to create that, what you need to think is having a neurodiverse workforce, you've got different ways of thinking, different perspectives. And what's that going to do for your organisation? That's going to drive innovation. And so how can you best assist them? So you need to be able to firstly create awareness amongst your organisation, but also build advocacy and just understanding, um, sorry, a neurodiverse person's viewpoint so that you can help them is probably much more powerful. But it's also about um, ensuring that you don't you don't become rigid as an organisation. Yeah. You need to be able to be flexible and continuously learn and improve what you're doing internally. Yeah, I think the whole the whole point about understanding the differences because I don't know for me with. I think there's a, a perception of dyslexia that it's just your spelling and reading that you struggle with, but actually mine mine is the complete opposite. So I obviously it's my working memory and retaining the information. So I think organizations need to take that into account that it's not just dyslexia is one one thing. Everyone experiences it in different ways. So yeah, hundred percent agree with you. I agree with you, Higzi. So I know we've spoken about how organisations can create an inclusive culture for those who are neurodiverse, but I think it's quite important to take it back to the start, you know, the recruitment process. So how do you think that the recruitment process can be more accommodating for those who are neurodiverse? Yeah, it's su- such a great question. I think um, it really needs to start from the job advert because obviously that is the beginning of, of the process. And um because I've, I've noticed that job adverts can be really lengthy um, and quite difficult to read. So using clear and concise language can really make all the difference. I don't know, using, for example, bullet points. Um, yeah, I, I personally struggle to read really long documents online. So that would definitely help me. OK. And what has been your personal experience then during the recruitment process or during a recruitment process? Yeah, I think my main thing with, for example, interviews and presentations and planning for that, I really need the materials beforehand. Um, if there's any reading reading resources, because it takes me a lot longer to process um, and digest the information, especially with things like presentations. Um, so I think, yeah, if candidates are, are selected for the interview, they really should be provided with um details in a clear format just kind of outlining the recruitment process for example what to expect on the day um directions to the office things like that i think this kind of pre-planning um 
employers can really implement to make neurodiverse candidates perform at their best? I think that, that's a fair point. And as a, as a candidate, then in the interview process, how do you think and what do you think recruiters should do or be mindful of? Yeah, I think it's it's worth remembering that every individual is different and there's not one size fits all approach with inter- interviewing. Um, so those who are neurodiverse, it's really important to to understand those needs and that the process is flexible. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's really really important. And Higgs, you mentioned reading uh, previously. Have you heard of bionic reading? Because I came across this uh, a yes. couple of months back. Yes, it's. Um, I've only heard of it recently, to be fair, in, in the last month. But it's essentially the. If people aren't familiar with it, it's the first few letters online on the document are, are bolded, so it makes it easier to go through the text online and stay focused. Um, and you can also add this as a, a Chrome extension. It's really, really helped me um, read online, obviously, because we're, we're on. We're in 2022 now. We're everything's online, so yeah, it's great. And uh, so, for people and listeners, it's bionic reading. Uh, it's quite it's quite a useful tool if if you haven't heard of it before. So let's conclude. Then I've only got one final question for you. If you can give one key takeaway from this episode, what would it be? Yeah, I think um, the key takeaway would be that neurodiversity and dyslexia in particular really impacts everyone differently. So I think it's really important to be aware of this and tailor your approach as an organisation just to create that inclusive culture. It's really, really key. 100%, 100% agree with you there. And uh, that's all for today's episode. So where we discuss dyslexia, on a personal, but also on the workplace level. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode. Um, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also give it a rating and review if you enjoyed it. Um, and in our next episode, we'll be dropping shortly. So stay tuned. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time on Diversity and Inclusion, Satisfying the Tick Box.